listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today joining me for episode 224 of the show is Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's going on, my friend? Not much, man. Just hanging out. Nice. Chilling, getting nice. pumped. Got my, my Jeff Passon alerts on, ready for the week to get crazy. All right. I hope I hope for some craziness this week, uh, especially good craziness. Uh, it's been a little bit since I've been on the show, um, like since, I don't know, the the early part of uh, July, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, early July, uh, because I was gone for the birth of my daughter for a couple weeks, so um feels good to get back to the show, though. It's uh, I, I felt like a lot happened uh, while I was gone, because we had... Uh, all sorts of roster moves and a draft and, you know, trade deadline stuff coming up and baseball being played. So there's quite a bit uh, of things uh, for us to talk about today. So we'll we'll get to all those things. We're going to recap a little bit of uh, what the Red Sox have done uh, baseball-wise in the last week. We'll talk about some roster moves. We'll talk about the roster. Uh, I'll give a little mini draft reaction of my own um, because I haven't got a chance to talk about that. But the meat of the show will be focusing on the trade deadline and uh, then answering your listener questions. So we hope that you will uh, stay with us and enjoy this podcast. Um, All right, Keaton, let's get right to it. Um, The Red Sox just took three out of four against the Yankees. It was a really impressive series, in my opinion, in in particular. a few of the performances that stood out to me, uh, Phillips Valdez uh, coming in and striking out seven in relief for uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who left with the migraine. Um, that was particularly awesome. Um, Nate Evaldi had a, a tremendous pitching performance before, unfortunately, the Yankees scored all those runs to get their lone win in the series. And then the, the comeback win um in in Sunday's game was was very impressive uh what stood out to you most uh throughout that series ooh man so you qualified that with most um cuz there was a lot i agreed like you there was a lot of things um i guess the resilience of the bats to come back um in the first game and win it in extras and then the last game to come back from being no hit for almost 8 innings and then Securing the win. Um, this offense is good. It's a damn good offense. Yeah, it really is. And, and the other thing we didn't even mention is um, in the 5-4 win in game two of this set, um, Tanner Houck, you know, coming in and, right. and pitching four and uh, two-thirds, uh, striking out eight, zero earned runs um, over 87 pitches. So that was tremendous as well. Um, Devers had the two home run game uh, during this series. Um, just kind of a lot of things going on. Overall, it just felt really good to see the Red Sox bury the Yankees. I mean, at this point, I think it's just it's really it's really going to be very hard for them to get back into any sort of playoff discussion at this point. Yep, I think so. And it would be nice if they get buried a little bit more and then actually become sellers at the deadline because it would just be fun to laugh at. But, um, you know, also impressive about those two home runs from Devers was hitting a 100-mile-an-hour fastball from Garrett Cole out. Red Sox have kind of had Garrett Cole's number this year, and that's that's nice to see. Yeah, yeah, they have. Uh, and Devers in particular uh, seems to be uh, his father. So congratulations to Rafael Devers on having another <laughs> child. Um, so a couple of things that stood out to me during the series was that the Red Sox pitching continued to be pretty damn good. Um, even, you know, pitching performances that weren't incredible, like Martin Perez, 
giving you six innings of three earned runs, striking out six. Um, that was like a totally fine line from Martin Perez against a good opponent as well. Um, to me, it's pretty clear at this point that I prefer Martin Perez uh, to Garrett Richards. Um, so as things kind of work towards sales return coming up here, um, how do you see that kind of back end of the rotation shaking out? Is it clear to you that it is uh, Garrett Richards' job to lose at this point? Well, I would actually like both to be out. Um, I would like Tanner Houck to be a used as a starting pitcher, and then when Chris Sale comes back, obviously used as a starting pitcher, and both of those two replace Perez and Garrett Richards. That's what I, I would like to see, but probably not going to happen. Uh, but yeah. I would I would agree with your pecking order that um, Richards is the low man on the totem pole. Yeah, see, I actually um, prefer Tanner Houck in the bullpen role. Um, I think that his stuff plays better. Um, he's really good against right-handed hitters. Um, he's really good for three-inning stints, and he's got some pretty, um, pretty shocking numbers when you dive into what he looks like second time through the order. And I think that as he gets more exposure up at the major league level, that that's only going to come to light uh, more. So I'm okay with him as like an occasional spot starter, but I think that Martin Perez is probably a little bit better at turning over a lineup at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you're not really expecting a lot out of your fifth starter. You're just looking for him to get through five, six innings and give the team a chance to win. And that's what he does. So he's perfect for that role. Yeah, totally. I mean, so this is one of the things that we're going to be talking about today as we move on is, is the needs that the team has, but it is just kind of interesting, you know, looking at this starting rotation, one of the things that has stood out to me a lot throughout this year is just the health that we've really had in that starting rotation. Even when Eduardo Rodriguez was forced to leave that game with the migraine headache, I was thinking the worst, like, oh, no, is it a shoulder? Is it an arm? Or, you know, like, what's going on here uh, health-wise? But, you know, knowing that it was just a migraine, which is obviously very serious, but not, you know, some sort of structural injury, the, the health has really been outstanding in that rotation all season long. It's absurd, especially at the rate that people are dropping like flies this year with the injuries. Uh, for them to basically have the same five starters, um, I mean, I guess you can kind of throw Tanner Houck in there uh, a bit because he started the year in Erod's place as he was working back. But to have the same five pretty much the entire season to this point is absurd. Yeah, absurd in a really good way. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh... it kind of feels like playing with house money. So yeah. I hope that it continues to work out this way, though, because, I mean, these injuries can turn rather quickly. Yeah, and it's it's increasingly looking like a two-team race at the top of the American League East between Boston and Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa sits a game back of the Red Sox entering play tonight as we record this on a Monday before the game uh, against Toronto. Yankees are nine back. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are nine and a half back. Uh, it feels to me pretty inevitable that the Toronto Blue Jays are eventually going to overtake uh, the New York Yankees. How does it feel to you? Uh, they did, didn't they? Aren't they a half game up? They are half game back. Oh, half game back. Still right now. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I would absolutely agree. I mean, <laughs> Toronto's offense is like the third best offense in the American League. It's really good. They've scored 491 runs, which is just a few shy of Boston and Tampa Bay. Yeah, if you look at the the standings for the American League, it's kind of hilarious to see like their run differential is plus 86, I believe, um, unless they've started to play today at this point, which I'm not sure if they have. But or well, no, they'd be playing the Red Sox, so no, they have not. <laughs> um, and everybody around them is like the closest. I think is the A's at like plus 30. And then everybody else is minus 30 or worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to see them still like four games out of a wild card spot, it's like, holy shit, guys, get your pitching together. You're just stranding <laughs> your offense out there to dry. Yeah, it, it's also been like timely pitching and timely hitting for them because they have a better run differential, the Toronto Blue Jays do, than the, the Boston Red Sox. It's yeah. just, uh, 
you know, it's been that's been a, a certainly a trademark of this Red Sox team is their resiliency and their ability to have these comeback wins, as we've noted several times, you know, over 30 comeback wins, most in the majors, you know, 61 victories already. Um, the only other team with 61 or more is the L.A. Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. So uh, Red Sox in a really good place right now. But unfortunately, you know, Tampa Bay hot on their heels um, and making moves, um, trading Rich Hill, who seemed to be a little bit in the decline phase, had been uh, having some rough starts lately, and then uh, adding the ageless Nelson Cruz to that mix. Uh, Tampa Bay, I think you could argue, got stronger because they just went ahead and put top prospect Luis Patino uh, right into the rotation to replace the, you know, kind of crappy at this point Rich Hill. Uh, they're, They're still really freaking good. Also incredibly underrated, um, they are second in the major leagues uh, in comeback wins with 30 behind the wow. Red Sox at 32. Uh, not what I would have expected, but pretty impressive and underrated that they're you know they keep plugging away. I wouldn't have expected that because of I mean we've talked about this race with Tampa before and Tampa's offense is kind of really or uh, pitching rather is kind of struggling. Their offense has been awkwardly good. But, I mean, with the depth that they have, I guess it's not to be unsurprising. But their offense is making up a lot for their pitching. And like you said, they just fortified it with Luis Patino. So it is, this is going to be a tough stretch down to the, the wire here in this, in this division. And I guess the good news is still a bunch of games against Tampa left. So they can definitely – their fate is in their own hands here as we come down to the wire. Yep, it definitely is, and I think that that only adds to the urgency uh, that Bloom has to make some moves. Um, We should talk about some of the internal moves that they've made so far. Uh, Since I've been gone from the podcast, they finally did a thing and called up Jaron Duran. Um, Keaton, I uh, regret missing your excitement about that. Uh, How did you react to the call-up of Jaron Duran? Um, Like a five-year-old on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Giddy up all night thinking about his first at bat and how much fun it was going to be, and then of course fucking rained out and yep, rain delayed and we we finally got him. We got to see him. He's here. Um, how have you thought he's played so far since he's been up? I mean, he hasn't had too too many opportunities. He's been playing mostly center field and playing basically exclusively against right-handed pitching. Um, so he has sat a few times, but what have you thought about his at-bats and how he's looked in the field? I thought he's looked really good. Uh, the speed is certainly there. Um, it, his base running's been incredible. Yeah. Going oppo for his first career home run, and then he pulled a double even further than he hit the, the home run for uh, in a later game. Uh, it's only seven games. It's still a really small sample, but I've been impressed. Um, he had an at-bat in that first game, second at bat, I believe, because yeah, he got a single in his first at bat, uh, was down 0-2 and then drew a walk against um, Garrett Cole, I believe, um, or whoever that was. No, because that was yeah, that was Toronto. Anyway, incredible at bat uh, for a guy you know fresh into the majors who swung and got a hit on his first pitch and you know was able to contain his excitement in the second at bat and see a bunch of pitches, foul some off and draw a walk. And then the contact that he's been making, it's still a really small sample. Uh, he only has 13 batted balls uh, and the general kind of rule of thumb, or not rule of thumb, but like analysis on stat cast is that it, things generally start to settle into place at like 40 batted ball events. So we still got a ways to go. Mm. But a 93 exit velocity, five miles an hour faster than the major league average. He is hammering the ball. A 50. Uh, 54% hard hit rate. He's he's had some swing and miss, um, but I'm not really discouraged uh, because he's never really had strikeout issues um, in the minors before. I guess you could consider the first part of uh, his stint this year, AAA, um, his, his worst struggles with strikeouts, but he corrected that pretty quickly and had an incredibly hot start or hot, uh, hot finish to his triple mm-hmm. stint. I think he's probably going to do the exact same thing here. He's just kind of settling. It's still incredibly early, but I have been pretty excited with what I've seen. Yeah. I mean, we have seen a little bit of swing and miss in, in the past, like you noted um, earlier in this season. And then 
um, in his small sample size in 2019 when he went up to double A and just was exposed with his his old swing. You know, there were some balls that he just couldn't get to inside. Um, and, and that was pretty apparent. But one of the great things about Jaron Duran has been how he's been able to make these adjustments over time with his athleticism. And he's been able to make these adjustments relatively quickly. Um, and I totally agree with you. I hadn't looked at any of those numbers, but what I was going to say is it seems like everything he hits, he's hitting really hard. So I'm not surprised at he all sure to is. hear that, uh, you know, <laughs> those exit velocities are, are being backed up there. Um, the other thing that I was a tad worried about with Jaron Duran was just we've, we had heard so much about his inconsistent defense in center field, and I haven't noticed it uh, being an issue yet. I mean... Maybe you could you could say if I broke down some some video, maybe I could say like, oh, that wasn't the most ideal, you know, route efficiency or something like that. But really, the speed that he has is enough to cover up for some of his mistakes um, if he does make them. And I think that he's he's getting better there. I like that they decided to play him in center field, the position that he's most comfortable in. And I also like that. Uh, Cora was willing to challenge him by hitting him second in the order. Um, I think all those things just, you know, speak to the confidence that they have in the player. And I also kind of like that Bloom held on to this move as long as he did. I know that we were anxious for him to come up and we thought he was ready a while ago. Um, but it, it kind of had the feel of adding a piece at the trade deadline before you actually added a piece at the trade deadline. Like it was a good injection of energy to this team. Um, yeah, I, I, I hate that comparison though, but that that's undeniably happens every year. Um, he was already in the organization. It's not a trade deadline move. It's just, he, he was, but, got brought up, but I agree with you about the, the spark in the offense and like clearly had an effect on some other guys like Kiki Hernandez, who, yeah. Um, kind of Player saw of the, the writing on the wall that he might not be the leadoff hitter anymore, and Jaron Duran is getting closer and closer, and has been absolutely on fire for the past month, yeah. including getting a Player of the Week honors today yep. from for last week. Yeah, he's been hitting. Talking about hitting everything hard, man. That it it seemed like Fenway robbed the Red Sox over the last couple series of uh, quite a bit of extra base hits they've been peppering the hell out of that monster um it, you sort of wanted them to be on the road with how kike has been hitting the ball it's it's crazy guy's been awesome uh i love him at second base by the way i've been waiting all year for him to play second base more it's not that i don't like him in center field i just think he's really good and really comfortable at second base and in a small sample size we had seen his offense had been much better at second base so you know, moving forward, that was one of the things that we looked at when we first did our way too early trade deadline show is, you know, do we need somebody else at second base here with Kike playing in center field? But now that Duran is up and Kike is holding down second, I mean, that feels like a very, very secure position to me. Agreed about all of that. I, I enjoy Kike at second. Um, I know he's still going to get some spells in the outfield, but I like the... Verdugo, Duran, Renfro, outfield, Kike at second. It is just such a solid lineup and fantastic defense all over the diamond. That is the Red Sox at their best. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's the best alignment for sure. Um, All right, let's talk about the weirdest thing that's happened with this lineup since I've been gone. (laughs) Uh, Franchi Cordero uh, is back with the team. Um, that in and of itself isn't particularly weird, but we started to notice about a week ago, or maybe a week and a half ago, time has been flying with like a newborn in the house. Um, but, you know, Franchi started to get some starts at AAA at first base. And, um, you know, being that, you know, he, he looks like a potential answer um, against right-handed pitching which is something that the Red Sox have been having issues with you know being that he's a left-handed bat um, that was kind of interesting but now he's actually drawing starts in the major leagues against uh, right-handed starters uh, and playing first base he did so against Domingo Herman he wasn't particularly effective there this is a guy with a career 91 WRC plus versus right-handed pitching 
I'm not sure that Franchi is the lefty bat you're looking for here. Well, 91 is a lot better than their other options. Yeah, I guess that's one way to put it. Yeah, I mean, so let's look at Bobby Dahlbeck here. I have his page up right here. I'm going to just click on his splits. Uh, His WRC plus this year versus uh, righties is 54. So, yeah, um, 91 is better than 54. That's true. It is. Um, But neither are great. No. I think it is them making that move, though, to basically give Franchi a chance to be that platoon, I think says a lot about how they view him now. I think they really wanted it to work, but it doesn't look like it's going to. Um, He's obviously been squeezed out of the outfield now, uh, and his only chance for playing time is to figure out how to play first. Uh, Otherwise, it's probably just going to be... You know, triple A, mash and Franchi, or trade chip, or trade. <laughs> well, yep. I don't know if, how uh, intriguing he would be as a trade piece somewhere, but I don't know. Maybe somewhere people, you know, the Red Sox thought they could they could figure it out. Maybe somewhere else can figure it out. But yeah, I, I mean that's that is his only path to playing time right now is being that lefty platoon first base bat. Um, yeah. Strong side of the platoon with Dahlbeck, yeah. And that's not great, but that's what they got. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to this. Um, he had been much better uh, at AAA. You know, uh, one of the things that Cora had noted about Franchi Cordero when he was struggling up here was that his, he was just really in between on his swing. Um, and that's one thing that they said that he had fixed uh, at AAA. So it'll be interesting to see if that carries over. We haven't certainly seen anything uh, compelling yet. I mean, <laughs> Domingo Herman was no hitting the Red Sox uh, through what into the eighth inning uh, yesterday. So um, not exactly you know seeing Franchi tear the cover off the ball uh, yet. But you know what? He's going to get another start there at first base likely tonight. So we will see uh, what happens. With that, uh, the rest of the roster here, uh, Christian Arroyo tried to play first base, ended up on the IL. Marwin <laughs> still on the IL. Santana on the IL. And Sawamura on the IL. Uh, Hauk is back in that hybrid role, which we alluded to. Phillips Valdez is up. Um, some news, though. Chris Sale has been just lights out uh, in his rehab starts. Keaton, what have we seen from Chris Sale uh, so far in those uh, rehab starts? Uh, we have seen reason to believe that he's going to be exactly his old self when he comes back in the rotation. He's killing it. Like, I mean, you would understand so far he's had, um, I actually don't think he's had a triple A start yet, but what he's done against a ball and double A is just absolutely destroy people, uh, which is what you would expect for the, a player as good as Chris Sale. Um, but the fact that he's been able to work through these, uh, these throwing programs start his rehab a little bit earlier than we might have thought and now not have any setbacks and just continue to dominate. Um, that is exactly what you were hoping for. It's like the best case scenario for his rehab. Uh, Cora, I think, spoke today and said they they have one more rehab start for him planned right now at AAA on uh, August like 5th or 6th. And then he could be clear to join the Red Sox rotation after that, which I'm really hoping for because I have tickets August 12th. So I'd love to see Chris Sale's first start back. Yeah, that could be good timing for you. Um, yeah. the, the, the starts for him so far, none of them have been uh, a full four innings yet. But uh, on the 15th, he threw three innings um, at the complex, uh, five strikeouts, no walks, Um Next start was at double A, uh, struck out six over three and two thirds innings, uh, walked one. And then uh, the next one was uh, the one that happened on the 25th, um, which you were just kind of talking about there. Uh, Three and two thirds, nine strikeouts, no walks, uh, one home run allowed. So two earned runs there. Um, But the stuff just seems to be really, really super back 
uh, for him, which is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Better than we expected. Um, he pitched into the high 60s in terms of his pitch count last time out. Um, so, you know, I think by the time he gets to the big leagues, he's probably going to be allowed to go around 75, 80 plus pitches. Um, and they're not messing with him in the bullpen, man. This is this dude's coming back to the rotation. Yep. Exactly. That should be. Corey did mention that he hopes to see Sale get through five or six innings and 80 pitches in his next one. Um, getting through six innings and 80 pitches would be pretty darn good. Um, that kind of seems like little pie in the sky action but at least him getting stretched out to that length it does i mean if i kind of feel like um if he's not stretched out that far they probably will give him another uh another rehab start but if he's able to get through you know 80 pitches successfully uh the chances are pretty darn good that his next starts in major leagues yeah i'm so excited about Chris Sale being back. And uh, one of the other things that I had heard is that Chris Sale has kind of, while he was on this rehab journey, has revamped uh, his diet and stuff. So he's like on a bit of a, not exactly like a TB12 method thing, but, uh, you know, eating a little cleaner and doing all the right things that you want your star pitcher in his 30s to be doing. Uh, so... I'm kind of loving it, man. Is there going to be a bunch of CS41 shops popping up around New England? <laughs> Maybe. You know what? Anything <laughs> he can do to keep that inflammation down, you know, cut those nightshades out, I'm, I'm cool with it. Heck um, yeah. He's working, you know, it's working for Tom Brady, uh, clearly. So, you know, if Chris Sale's going to do anything like that, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Anything that gets him on the mound more. All right, uh, quick reaction to the draft before we get into trade deadline stuff. Um, we had talked about the draft a little bit heading up to that point, and the names we had been talking about had basically just been Henry Davis, uh, Kumar Rocker, and Jack Leiter, who we really wanted, really, really wanted. We didn't even talk about the uh, the possibility of Marcelo uh, Mayer or... Meyer, Meyer, Meyer is how you pronounce it. My bad. Uh, Marcelo Meyer um, being available to the Red Sox. I was blown away. I was in the hospital uh, when the draft was happening. You know, my wife had just given birth and I'm watching the draft and I was freaking out when <laughs> when Davis went one, later went two. I was bummed. But then I started thinking to myself, huh? Mayer could be available here or Meyer could be available here this is going to be crazy and then there was that huge connection with Job had to Detroit and then they actually took Job um, I was blown away that the Red Sox were able to get with their first two picks uh, Meyer and Judd Fabian um, I kind of love the draft I know that they haven't signed Fabian yet they haven't signed their fifth rounder the catcher from Florida who's also a really good bat yet um, and, uh, you know, they, they did get the deal done at slot for, for, um, Meyer. So I'm just stoked about the draft. I just think it clearly one of the best, uh, ways that this could have gone for them. Yeah. That, uh, Davis lighter double tap kind of hurt there at the top, but yeah, there was that connection of Detroit loving Job, which I get, I mean, the dude, it's got like, four 60 grade pitches and 55 control as an 18 year old hitting triple digits like the ceiling is absurd yeah and they're good at pitcher development over there in detroit too they sure are so that that was really kind of at that point what we were hoping for was like yeah just stay stay that track and let the best player in the draft fall number four please dear god yeah and and you know that the nice thing about it too is you don't have any of the panic uh, that you would have with a pitching prospect yeah. being in the Red Sox system. You know, as, as good as Leiter and Job and Rocker are, there would have been that thing in the back of your mind, like, are the Red Sox going to screw this guy up? Um, because they just haven't been particularly good at developing starting pitching uh, lately. But right. you know so what they're really good at is developing position players. Yeah, very good. And you're exactly right. I would not have trusted Job in the Red Sox organization because they just cannot. They need 
very, very polished college arms, which is why Lighter and Rocker were so attractive to me as like that's the type of pitching prospect that the Red Sox can develop and have great little career in Boston. But there's like no doubt about their talent with the position players. Like I'm I'm already bought into Meyer being like an absolute stud for Boston for a long time. Yeah, the comps on him are pretty ridiculous. The fact that, you know, they they graded him out with the best hit tool in the draft plus the best defensive value in the entire draft is uh, pretty exceptional. So if he can be um, maybe a Xander Bogart's light with the offense plus better defense there, um, that's going to be pretty nice. So I, And this is not me advocating for him to replace Bogart's. Just move Bogart's over to third shift. Devers to first or what you know figure it out all those guys need to stay here um, <laughs> but it's just a really freaking nice problem to have uh, to think about having to find a place for an elite shortstop like that uh, down the road so very very good get um, and by all accounts the uh, the group of Paul Timoni and Mike Rickard and Heim Bloom was just giddy uh, that this eventuality played out the way that it did yeah, I was likewise surprised. I I mean, after Davis and Leiter, who were the, the two guys that were the most heavily linked to Boston, I mean, there was the rumors that Leiter was trying to price himself down and work those kind of things, and then Davis was just presumed to be there uh, at that point. When those two guys went, it was really kind of like, wait, what do the Red Sox do? <laughs> and I was really glad that they, they took Meyer – because, I mean, you just outlined all the talent, but I I talked about this on um, one of the Red Sox on Decks podcasts with Bob that whoever was there, I hope they took the best available at number four because you don't really often draft there, and that's too high in the draft to get cute with money. Yeah. Um, even though that, that did not stop a couple teams immediately after Boston from uh, getting cute with their money. Um which is fine for the Red Sox, Baltimore being one of them. Um, they're just they're just going nowhere. But <laughs> whoever it was, I wanted them to take the best available. And the fact that it ended up being what is kind of like the consensus best talent in the draft is just kind of like, how did this happen? Yeah, it was so weird uh, that we didn't even really talk about it as a possibility. Um, right. So. You know, that's it's just it's pretty great. My personal board for this draft. My top five uh, talent-wise, I had Lighter one, uh, Mayer or Meyer. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep doing that. Um, Meyer um, number two. I had Jordan Waller three. I had Jackson Job four, and I had Henry Davis five uh, out of that group. Just in terms of like in a bubble, pure talent-wise upside. Um, I still liked Lighter one, but the fact that you know we got the guy who I had two Mayer. Uh, is just crazy. So uh, awesome. The Heim Bloom and his group just continues to build this system up in a very impressive way. So um, it almost, almost Keaton, almost makes that sixty-game nightmare in twenty twenty worth it. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> Podcasting about every game was still pretty rough, and I haven't forgotten. <laughs> Yeah, that was the worst season. Oh, man. I think it was Pete Abraham tweeted out that uh, through, what what are the Red Sox at? 100 games. Uh, 100 games was what last game. Um, that this feels shorter than the 60-game season last year. And oh, 100%, 100% it does. Yeah. It, th- this feels like 20 games uh, of, of last year's season. Yeah. Um, yeah, Oof. it was so, it was very difficult for Shelley and I to get motivated to talk about another starting pitcher going two innings and giving up five runs every damn time on the precap. This season, much better. Look forward to it. Well, old friend Ryan Weber was uh, claimed by Milwaukee and then just recently was DFA'd by them. So he is, uh, for, for all of you out there uh, who are wondering what Ryan Weber's up to, it's still nothing good. So, <laughs> would it surprise you to know that I was not wondering? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, all right, let's get to the trade deadline here. So, the trade deadline is coming up on Friday. Um, the biggest needs, in my opinion, are first base, 
uh, with a little bit of a gap, then relief pitcher. Um, Keaton, you feel slightly different than that. What yeah. do you think are the biggest needs for the team? Um, back to that old saying, you can never have too much starting pitching. Um, so the Red Sox starting pitch is kind of starting to wear a little bit here, and the offense has been able to bail them out, um, as evidenced by all of the comeback victories. Uh, we talked about Perez and Richards and how they are, you know, those two bottoms guys. But even Nick Pavetta um, has actually been kind of bad lately. He's given up 14 runs in his last 21 innings. He is somehow 2-1 and one over those four starts because the offense has bailed him out. Um, he's not striking guys out as much as he was before. And really, he's, his overarching stat line has been driven by that really freaking good first month and a half where he had a 2.81 ERA. But since then, he had a 4.8 ERA in May, 5.4 in June, 4.08 so far in July. And the strikeouts aren't there. Walks are starting to kind of creep back up. If he's your fifth starter, sure. Uh, but I'd actually prefer, like I said, Hauk, Sale, and a trade for a starting pitcher for them. And then use these guys that were booted to the pen as depth that they haven't had uh, in previous years and made, you know, when inevitably there was an injury, it, incredibly hard to, de- to deal with. Um, I think it's, I mean, right now they're using Hauk as a starter, but it's kind of because they have the stretch of like 17 games in a row. So they're giving guys extra days off and probably not going to continue to use them that way. And if that is the case, then even more I'd like them to get a starting pitcher because I still don't really want Perez and Richards in the rotation consistently here down the stretch run towards the playoffs. So um, we just had a, over the months, we did a round table last week on what position we think they should focus on. And it was a lot of first base except uh, Shelly, myself, and um, I lost it. Matt Walsh, Michael Walsh um, went with starting pitching, but everybody else was, was on the, the first base bandwagon. So I get it, but the offense is still really good. No matter who they've had at first base, the offense has been killing it. Um, so I don't think it's as aggressive a need as making sure you have enough starting pitching to get you to the finish line, particularly because, and I know it's not how you should think, but because they haven't had injuries yet, it feels like something's going to happen. And at the moment, they could handle one. They can't really handle more, and they don't really have any depth beyond um, like Hauk being that guy right now that's like right there. Um Maybe some other options going into 2022. So I would rather, if they're going to go for like a rental or something, I would rather be a starter than a, a corner infield bat. But I get people seeing that hole in the lineup and wanting it filled. I just don't think it's as glaring as it appears because the offense, the rest, you know, one through eight, besides that, whoever's at first, uh, is just so freaking good that it. I don't think that's where they need to focus on. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point, Keaton. I, I think it'd be very difficult to make the argument that the offense hasn't been good enough um, because right. it's been one of the best offenses in all of baseball this year, certainly producing a lot of runs despite the fact that they are worse than the major leagues in terms of first base production by basically every metric that you can look at. They've just been terrible offensively, defensively. Uh, everything has been really bad um, you know, at first base. Um I will say, though, I think that when you get to the postseason, that having those lineup holes um, is more glaring than it is during the regular season. Because I think that the pitchers are better. You're seeing better relievers. Um, it's harder to string you know, together um, rallies and things like that. So I, I feel like that is the type of need that needs to be filled if you're looking for a longer postseason run. Um, and I also am just a little bit less concerned about the starting rotation. Um, so dating back to the 1st of uh, June, which is basically when the crackdown on sticky stuff started, uh, who would you guess out of the five Red Sox starting pitchers is the leader in called strikes plus whiffs? Uh, Valdi? Yes. Who would you guess is second? I feel like that's where it's going to get weird, and it's probably Pavetta. It is not Pavetta. 
He's third. Erod is ahead of him at second. Oh, okay. Well, that was a... Yeah, which is, you know, kind of what you'd think just based on how they've performed. And then uh, third, is, or I should say fourth, is Martin Perez. And then fifth is Garrett Richards. And so I think that that's the thing is that when you're looking at the bottom of this lineup, um, Pavetta still misses bats. Uh, he doesn't, he's not like a called strike darling because we know that his command is one of the more dicey of this group of starting pitchers, but he still does miss bats at a pretty good rate. Martin Perez has the lowest swinging strike rate of anybody, uh, in this rotation, including Garrett Richards, since he's been bad, but he's got one of the best called strikes rates, uh, in, in baseball. You know, he's, he's one of the league leaders in called strikes, uh, strikeouts, as Eck would say, pair of shoes. Um, so he's got a 16.8% called strike rate. So that actually, you know, kind of helps buoy his his stock a little bit. Garrett Richards is second worst in swinging strikes and absolute worst on this rotation in terms of called strikes. So he doesn't really have anything working for him. I feel very confident in Eval, the Erod going forward. I feel pretty confident in Pavetta, and I think that Martin Perez knows exactly what he is. Um, and yep. that's kind of why I'm still freaking out about Garrett Richards going out there every day. It feels like the volatility of what you're going to get from him is just way too much going forward. Yeah, I totally agree. My thing, in, and maybe this isn't the right way to look at it, but uh, the Astros have dominated the Red Sox in... Um, I think one was a three-game series, one was a four-game series. Uh, and their offense just shredded those guys, The basically those bottom three. Um, yeah. And then also Vivaldi uh, had a, a bit of a struggle. So I think going up against an offense like that in the postseason, you're going to need better pitching. Um, mm-hmm. Because the Astros also have very good pitching. And if there's uh, – basically I just feel like the Astros are going to be the ones to ruin this this great party here in 2021. Um <laughs> Because, I mean, their offensive uh, run differential is like plus 144. It is absurdly high. Um, well, with Chris Sale looking good, I mean, does that change the equation for you? If you're running out Sale, Eovaldi, Erod as your top three in a series against Houston, I mean, is that is that okay? It's okay. I would still like a better fourth option, though. Okay, so you're still scared about when they get to Pavetta slash you know, Martin Perez or whoever is drawing that, that start fourth. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's the chances that you would basically get, I mean, so right now it would line up, they would play uh, in a divisional series. Maybe you get through those guys and that's it. That's the end. It's a sweep. I don't feel like that would be the case. I feel like you would uh, either, it would be two, one either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wouldn't feel great about Pavetta going out there in a game where the Astros have a chance to clinch. Um, and I wouldn't feel great about it if you have a chance to clinch and you throw Pavetta out there and let the Astros get back into it and force game five. So I would really like a better fourth option. And that's thinking of it in that kind of like microcosm of we're going to play the Astros at some point, whether it's in the divisional round or the CS, and it's staring us down the barrel. And just the, the, bad, <laughs> the bad matchup that they've already been this year, I'm just kind of like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me um, give you a different scenario. Okay. Instead of uh, going sale Evaldi Erod uh, only, and then and then having Nick Pavetta or Perez or someone like that being your fourth starter, what if you started with that top three that I think we all feel pretty confident in? Um, but then for that third game, you did Hauk for three innings to start it off, and Whitlock for three innings after that. I do like that. You're right. I do like that. That's you know. Better. Yeah, because because those guys have been tremendous. If if we go by just CSW, Whitlock is actually he's thrown twenty innings uh, or more since that time period. So he actually does qualify almost like a starter over that time period because we know his usage has been very high. Um, but he's got a thirty two point six percent CSW, which is actually even higher than Eovaldi's. So he's been he's been excellent. You can throw him in bulk and how we know is great the first time through the order. So I think that there are some things that the Red Sox can do to minimize um, those guys. And I also think that Nick Pavetta is a guy who could 
pitch better first time through the lineup, just showing you the kitchen sink first time through. Um, so I feel like, you know, healthy Chris Sale is going to be pretty great. Uh, if, if if he actually does come through and looks as good as we think he can and, you know, we can rely on Chris Sale, I feel like there's enough there to, to get by in those series. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't hate if they went out and somehow convinced the Nationals to, to you know, give him Max Scherzer. Something like that. Yeah, which would be just delightful for yeah. many reasons. All right. Well, um, as you noted, um, one of the, the areas where the Red Sox definitely have a big need is uh, first base. Um, when we did our roundtable, uh, most, except for you and Shelly, everybody else uh, noted that first base was you know, a big position of need. Had I done this one, I would have also said first base. Um here are some options for first base. We hadn't talked about this in a little while, so there are some new options on the market. The first new sexy option on the market is Anthony Rizzo, who's a lefty bat. He's a free agent after this year, 2021. He does carry sort of a substantial cap at 16.5 AAV. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't be taking all of that money on. Um, but uh, Andrew Simon over at MLB.com um, proposed a really interesting trade. He said Anthony Rizzo and Ryan Tapera, so filling a need at relief pitcher as well, which is one of those areas we've talked about, um, for Franchi Cordero, Brian Bayo, and Durbin Feltman. That was his trade idea. Would you do that? Hmm. Um, I mean, that seems pretty fair for both sides, which is rare for... A lot of these kind of just talking point trades. I know. The more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Yeah, I think I would. Especially because you get the Tapera part. So that's the, the more important piece to me is adding another really strong bullpen arm. Yep. Rizzo has very clearly declined over the sure. last two years and is 32. I mean, I know it would be a rental. But even in his declined form, he still gets on base and would be a significant upgrade at the position. So I get it. Um, that's probably about as much as I would pay, though, but that's a really fair price. Yeah, it is. I, I think you hate to give up Bayo, obviously, one of the guys who was at the Futures game and is arguably your best pitching prospect right now at this point. But still, you have to take into account the Red Sox history with developing these guys. Um, his ultimate ceiling is probably not anything more than a three-starter. Um, and Anthony Rizzo, even with his decline, he still walks a fair amount. His strikeout rate has not ballooned. It's still 16.3%, which is great for a power-hitting first baseman. Um, and, you know, he, he's the type of guy who has the capability to give you very professional, very good at-bats uh, in in a playoff run. Uh, and we've seen that before. So, you know, I think he's he's certainly very talented. Uh, it would be an interesting story, him coming back to the organization that drafted him. Uh, he was the sixth-round pick uh, of the organization in 2007. Uh, so him coming back would be interesting. And Ryan Tapera has been excellent all season long. So an interesting deal. I don't care about giving up Franchi or Feltman. Bayo is the big-ticket item there, but certainly a very interesting guy and a lefty. So good yeah. stuff. Um Next option, CJ Cron. We've talked about him before on the show. He's a righty bat, uh, free agent after 2021. Jesus Aguilar, righty bat, free agent after 2021. Uh, Jonathan Scope, another righty bat uh, for Detroit. Um, he plays first and second, so it gives you a little bit of versatility there. And then Carlos Santana, who we've talked about. We've talked about all these other options before. Um, he is a switch hitter um, who, you know, can can give you uh, some offensive pop and a little bit of OBP pop as well. Um, do any of those names move the needle for you? Jonathan Scope. He was a guy so that, that okay. I, I yep. wanted the Red Sox to go get um, a couple of years ago when we when we had our our massive uh, basically season of second baseman. Uh, and were really sold on Scooter Jeanette. Uh, Scope was another guy that um, I talked about a lot that summer as a guy that I was hoping to get. He's still he's not that old either. 
Uh, he like just turned thirty. I don't have his page up. I should have pulled that up. Uh, he's twenty nine actually. Still, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has massive hot streaks, and he is currently in the middle of an extended one right now. Uh, after starting the beginning of the season kind of cold, um, he, he <laughs> had something stupid like seventeen homers in June. It was just absolutely killing it. Uh, he should not be on Detroit. Basically, well, I mean, Detroit actually has kind of been a nice little run here lately. But ten homers in June, yeah, yeah, it's quite a lot. quite a lot. Yeah, had himself quite a nice little month there. Uh, but that's kind of who he is. Like he has those really hot streaks. Um, gets maybe cold for a little bit, but then gets hot again, and um, that is a massive upgrade for the Red Sox at first base. Um, but then also the ability to, like you said, play a couple other positions, kind of move things around. Uh, we know Cora likes those guys. So yeah. I would say for his age and his abilities, uh, he's the guy that I would – I feel like he's also would probably be maybe the exception of Rizzo because it is kind of a high price. Um, he's going to be hard to get because he is having a really good season. But I think it would be worth it for the Red Sox if they're looking to go that route and plug that, that hole up in first base at first base. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. Um, you know, sec- came up as a second baseman, played majority of his career at second base. Um, as you noted, though, his splits by month have been pretty incredible. Um, first couple months of the season, batted 198, uh, followed by 275 in May, 340 in June, and 329 so far in July. So he's just been red hot for two months right now. Um, the thing that freaks me out about that is just like, you know, what if he comes back to earth um, and just reverts to being kind of mediocre Jonathan Scope and he isn't a lefty bat. So he does have better splits against lefties than he does against righties. Um, and then I'm not sure how great he is for you. I think I, you know, all things considered in a bubble, I prefer Anthony Rizzo to him, even his in his declined form, than Jonathan Scope. If those guys were similarly priced, do you still prefer Scope to Rizzo? Um, I think I'd be fine with either. I mean, they're both good players. Yeah, I just prefer the lefty bat of Rizzo. I think in the pedigree. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but you know, certainly a more interesting guy. I think I would have Scope. Uh, certainly ahead of uh, Crone and Aguilar. Um, I do like Carlos Santana quite a bit, though. So that would be an interesting name for me as well. He is having such a weird year. He is. Great on base, though. Always. Always a great on base guy. Um, All right, let's move on to relief pitcher. So we... Both agree that relief pitcher is a very uh, big area of need. I updated this list a little bit from the last time we did it. I included some of the other guys, but I'm just going to read through some of these names here, Keaton, and you let me know who you're interested in. Uh, so from the Chicago Cubs, who have you know clearly marked themselves as sellers at this point, Craig Kimbrell uh, is available. He'd be an expensive option. He's got a vesting option through 2022. He makes $16 million a year. He's also arguably the best reliever in baseball. Uh, Ryan Tapera, who we talked about, he's a free agent after this year. Andrew Chaffin, he's got a mutual option 2022. And then Dan Winkler, he's a free agent after this year as well. Um, those are all Cubbies relievers who are going to be attractive to other teams. Yimmy Garcia, closer for the Marlins. Ian Kennedy, closer for Texas. Daniel Bard, uh, who we got a question about, which we will address. Um, closer sometimes uh, for the Rockies. Jose Cisnero, um, who is splitting duties as closer um, for the Detroit Tigers. He's arbitration eligible through 2023. Hansel Robles and Taylor Rogers um, are two options from uh, the really disappointing Minnesota Twins. Um, Robles will be a free agent after 2021, Taylor Rogers after 2022, and then Richard Rodriguez of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who have already started the selling process. He's their closer. He's arbitration eligible through 2023. Uh, out of that group, who stands out? Uh, Tapera, I think it's interesting. Yumi Garcia is also interesting. Uh, Bard, I think, would be kind of fun. Uh, Ian Kennedy is interesting, but I think he's going to be very expensive and go somewhere else. 
because uh, he is uh, probably the best of this bunch. Well, actually, Kimberl is probably the best of the bunch. Yeah. Um, Kimberl and Kennedy seem like they're going to be priced out of what the Red Sox would be willing to pay because their bullpen isn't. It's it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> so, it is a good bullpen. I mean, yeah. like you like you pointed out, it'd be nice to add another piece to that, but I don't think they have to get crazy with it. So. Uh, Yemi Garcia seems like he would be a great addition. Um, he's the one that I think stands out to me the most in this list. Um, but pretty much a lot, like all of these guys, I'd be pretty pretty happy about the addition of Bard would be kind of fun just for him coming back, you know. Yeah, Bard would be fun for the story. I'm not sure how good Bard is at this point um, still, and the control issues that he has. We have enough guys in this lineup that kind of freak <laughs> you out with control sometimes. Yeah. Darwin's in and, and Ottavino when he doesn't have it, uh, and Barnes when he's bad, which, you know, thankfully hasn't been a lot this year. Um, so I prefer a strike thrower uh, out of this group. Richard Rodriguez is a strike thrower, albeit one with the relatively low K rate, so I wonder how his stuff would play. Taylor Rogers is really good. I think he'd be kind of expensive, though. Um, I love Yumi Garcia. Um, I'd be, you know, really I'd be happy with any of these guys. I think they're all good options, but preference-wise, Taylor Rogers would probably be, Taylor Rogers and Yumi Garcia would probably be my, my top two, including kind of, everything that we've uh, taken into account hashtag gimme yimmy gimme yimmy okay i like that I like that a lot actually uh starting pitching options uh these haven't changed since the last time we talked um and if you want us to go in depth on these guys uh, you can just listen to two pods ago um where we kind of reviewed these guys, but guys who might be available just to recap those names, Caleb Smith, Charlie Morton, Herman Marquez, John Gray, Kyle Gibson, Jose Berrios, who's already been bandied about in rumors, uh, Kenta Maeda potentially, and Danny Duffy uh, could be some options. So, uh, And the, the, the one name we didn't mention um, that we did mention earlier in the show, uh, Max Scherzer, um, Probably not going to be dealt, but he would be the best of the bunch if he does become available. What's your What's your take on Max at this point? Are the Nats going to be buyers or sellers? I think very clearly sellers. They also announced today that they are not going to extend Trey Turner. So his time in Washington is uh, numbered. So uh, Interesting, considering he's one of the best players in baseball. Yeah, very. Um, yeah. So he's gone. Um like, how does Juan Soto feel about that? Like, Scherzer's probably going to get dealt. They're not going to extend Trey Turner. He's going to be the last man standing there. Yeah, and they have no system to speak of at all. So None. Uh, Juan Soto to the Red Sox? I mean, hell yeah. <laughs> Whoever they want. Yeah, <laughs> literally, just pick. Uh, but, you know, seriously, maybe he just plays it out and goes to free agency. Yeah. It'd be. So um, my guess is because he is one of the best players in baseball, they're not just going to let him walk like uh, Rendon uh, or Rendon, and they're going <laughs> to trade him. So he may be gone too. If you're trading Turner and Scherzer, I don't know how you think you could compete in Major League Baseball. So yeah, I think they're definitely going to be sellers, and I think Scherzer. I think this is this is the season where it's going to happen. Yeah. Well. You could definitely see Trey Turner and uh, Max Scherzer having a massive impact on uh, the playoffs this year if those guys are moved, for sure. Yep. All right, let's get to our listener questions before we go ahead and get on out of here. Our first question comes from Alden Suez. Uh, Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. He says, does Brandon Workman make the playoff roster come October, or do you feel his time in Boston is coming to a close? Um... What do you think, Keaton? I do not think he would be on the roster come October. He's kind of one of the low mans in the bullpen right now. Um, I mean, he certainly has time to change that, and we've seen what he's been able to do against major league hitters in the past. If he gets back to that form, then sure. Um, but he's really consistent, um, still struggles with walks, but isn't making up for it with the strikeouts like he has in the past. So I would leave him off. Yeah, I don't think he survives this week. I'll be uh, quite honest. I think he's the lowest man in this bullpen right now. Um, I have Yaxel Rios and uh, Phillips Valdez ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, he's just not the same pitcher he was. So, 
I think if you're looking at fungible spots on this roster right now, it's Workman, Rios, Valdez, Chavis, and Dahlbeck uh, at this point. Um, next question comes from uh, Yoel V. Maria. Uh, should the Red Sox get scope in Jose Cisnero in a package deal? I think that'd, that'd be pretty be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two of the guys we had on our list um, at first base in relief pitcher. Uh, really good players. Cisnero also, I didn't note this, but he's arbitration eligible through 2023. So that'd be a get for more than just this year. 